Bites and Bites Podcast is the perfect wrestling podcast. There's a guy named Hal and there's Daniel and this guy Mike Eagle is there as well. Tights and Bites Podcast. Tights and Welcome to Tights and Fights, the show that discusses wrestling with the sincerity and hilarity that it deserves. I'm the Halcore legend, Hal Lublin. Oh, that's great. I'm joined today by my fellow members of the Nation of Conversation, the eater of weaves, Danielle Radford. Oh, that's right. I take your weaves. And, and they're bad, and I eat them. <laughs> and this, how, 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 they ain't real. This is my they new made favorite. corn. And the sound of justice, Mike Eagle. Oh, wow. I, mean, right? I love it. It's I good. Love it. It's, it's great. good. It's fantastic. That's really good. Now, today we're going to change things up from our usual format because we've got a special guest. He's known by you probably for his time in NXT, where he's one half of the tag team champion Vaude Villains. He was then part of SmackDown's tag scene and now wrestles all over the place. He's been to England. He's all over. He's going to be in Wichita, Kansas. Simon Grimm, but also now soon again Simon Gotch, as I understand it. Vaude Villains, you're successful tonight in your debut against the Lucha Dragons on SmackDown. For the WWE Universe that's not familiar with you, what's your message, Simon Gotch? Our message, Rich Brennan, is debonair devastation dealt decisively. Thank you so much for coming on the Tights and Fights. It's so great to have you here. Thank you for having me. This is a this is a change up from my uh, the regular podcasts I've done with Hal, which are yeah we've got this podcast and uh, yeah I, I look to bring the equal amount of head trauma induced absurdity that I usually bring when I speak. All right, setting the bar high. <laughs> no concussions suck. <laughs> they do, especially when you understand the long term effects, and you just kind of get depressed when you're someone like like who's been in professional wrestling since they were 19, and you go, wow, I have a really really dark future ahead of me, don't I? This is I just. <laughs> I better enjoy my time right now because it is not going to be pretty when I hit 50. Oh, shit. But you also just watching, I mean, I've seen your, your stuff now in the independents and obviously I watched you in NXT and, and on the WWE roster as well. You can't, you also can't really change up too much of what you're doing knowing that I've got some concussions. I may get some more. Like to what, ex- what extent does that affect what you're doing in the ring? Uh, well, it, it's hard because you never really know what qualifies as a concussion. You get told mm. that that uh, if you like, if anytime you see stars, you have a concussion. Right. But then there's that thing where there's like, yeah, but you could see stars from stretching the wrong way. Getting concussions is something you're kind of used to as a wrestler. Like, how bad or how many do you have to get before they're like you can't wrestle anymore because of them? Like, how how like what is it like a magic number or like how how do they determine when somebody's just had like so many that they can't risk having another one? It depends. There's no set standard as far as like, oh, well, once you've had five, they, there used to be, again, it used to be like, you know, some people would say three concussions was too many. Some people would say, you know, 10. Mm. But what what it comes to now really is uh, how it's affecting you. Right. Uh, in the case of Daniel Bryan, I know he was saying that right, right before he retired last time, he was having seizures. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it just depends on when, how, there, there's right. no real predicting it. Right. And even then your body, some people, I hate to say it this way, some people just don't get them or at least they don't show the effects. Hmm. It's even hard to predict if you've had one unless it's been so severe that you uh, you actually go out. I know I caught a really bad kick in the head from Kofi Kingston on a house show about a, probably about two years ago. Like this, this kick was bad enough that Cody Rhodes heard about it. He was no longer with WWE, and he actually texted me. It was the only time he ever texted me. 
to find out if I was okay. Damn. Wow. And I was fine, but it was it was it, the best way to describe it was it hurt so bad I couldn't open my eyes. Wow. I was I was fine. I was I hadn't lost my uh, my faculties at all, but I asked the wrong question. So I asked where we're at in the match, but my, the wording I used was where are we? Okay. Oh, jeez. Oh, so, so Rudy Charles, who was the ref, goes, "You don't know where we are." I go, we're in Tampa, Florida. I mean, where are we in the match? If I missed anything, because I didn't know if any time. It was that weird feeling of I don't know if time has passed. I know I got kicked in the head. I know it hurt really bad, but I don't know if I went out. Yeah, and if you so could have I'm, went out for like two seconds, or you could have went out for like ten minutes, you don't know. Exactly, because I just know I'm on the. I'm in the. I actually had to roll out of the ring for the spot that we were doing anyway. So it's it's a very we got into this real quick. We have not even gotten anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, here, here's a here's a question too along those lines, right? So we all have uh, heard and read stories of how things used to be, especially when you know the big companies didn't take care of the wrestlers or their spots or anything very much. A lot of people would just work hurt and try to like not tell people um, when something's up with them. And we still see that in the major sports too. But now that there is so much information out there about like the long-term effects of all these things, has there been like been a change in the culture with like the wrestlers, with the boys on like whether or not they speak up about that stuff? Sort of. Uh, I think there's a better there's a better response from the company, and obviously, if guys feel like they are in need of help, they'll ask for it. But the problem is still we have it. You know, it's not even drilled into us. It's just inherent. Mm-hmm. You don't want to admit you're hurt. Right. It's that whole as long as I can walk, I'm okay. It's it's just you don't want to admit it because you're fearful of. If you admit you're hurt, then you're going to lose time. If you're going to lose time, you're going to like even if they don't. They're not planning to do that. Even if they're telling you you're okay, you're safe, don't worry about it. There's always that paranoia. Right. And you can't really – you're never going to get that out of people. There's always going to be that that desire to just – because if anything, you want to wrestle because you enjoy it and you don't want to take it away. Daniel Bryan legitimately has no reason to come out of retirement. Right. Like if, we're, if we're talking actual – he doesn't financially need to. He's more than financially secure. He's a millionaire on his own. On top of that, his wife is a millionaire from all the the total Bellas and you know Birdie B and all that. And if he were to, if he really wanted to stay in the wrestling industry and not ever wrestle again, he could open a wrestling school tomorrow and have you know a thousand students lined up out the door ready to pay an obscene amount of money to train with him. Right. So so he doesn't need the money. Hell, if he opened a pro wrestling tees store, he would be you know he could be wealthy off that. CM Punk never needs to work again just because of that his pro wrestling tees store. Wow. So you can uh, he doesn't you can pl- should plug your store real quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, mine's up there. I, I, you could buy my shirts, but you, you'd be the one. Um, <laughs> but the uh, the whole thing is like he doesn't need the money. He doesn't even need the accolades or the uh, achievement. He's main event at WrestleMania. He's been world champion. He's you know, he, he doesn't need any of it. He wants to do it because he's passionate about wrestling and he enjoys it. Do you, at this point in your life, as a, as a uh, as a young man? Do you see a point where I, I'm going to walk away and become a teacher? Because I know you're already doing some teaching now. Is that the next step for you? Or is it I want to keep doing this for as long as I'm physically able and then I'll figure it out from there? What? How does your – do you – when you look ahead, what do you what are you sort of planning at, for or looking at? As long as it's the most financially viable uh, option and I'm physically able to do it, I, I want to keep wrestling. Mm-hmm. But, and, and really it just comes down to this is the only thing I'm actually any good at. Uh, I, I, could, I, I could teach wrestling and everything, but uh, realistically speaking, it's uh, I, I started wrestling shortly before I turned 19. I have no actual job skills. I've never held a job outside of wrestling for more than a – I think the longest I was employed anywhere was 13 months. And WWE has been trying to take some steps to correct that over the last uh, few years. They actually uh, – if you've ever been employed by the company, they have a, a scholarship program 
where oh. they'll pay uh yeah they'll pay i think it's up to a thousand dollars a year for uh for a college Whoa, but, that's 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 it's not going to get you much college. That can get you some certifications though, which is usually enough to get work mm-hmm. and okay. to sort of build yourself up over time. But and you also have to fill out like a, a friggin'. It's funny because I guess I actually looked into it at one point when you actually have to do like an essay, which no. to me was was laughable because I was like, yeah, but if no one else is trying for it, my essay could literally say give me money and I'm because I don't hear about a whole lot of guys taking them up on this, but the offer is there basically to help you transition into a, uh, a life outside of wrestling. But usually, as I said, guys don't do that because they either don't have any skills in anything else or they really don't want to do anything else. Right. And, th- and there are some people who have transitioned into obviously acting. Um, most famously, Kevin Nash, who was in the Magic Mike series. <laughs> um, is that ever an avenue yes, you would go he's into? He's way more famous than that other guy. He's <laughs> way more famous than that guy who's going to be president in 2020. So much more famous. I know what I think of the Mount Rushmore of wrestling in Hollywood. Kevin Nash. It's Kevin I Nash four to... times, clearly. Like... <laughs> It's, it's Kevin Nash, it's Diesel, it's, it's Oz, Vinny <laughs> yeah. Look, they all finger poke themselves into presidencies. That's how it works now. Uh, but uh, well, I don't even know what your next question was. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, my question was, would you ever be interested in pursuing any kind of other entertainment? Because obviously you're really good. You're, you're uh, incredibly good at talking. You're very good at, at, at talking to people. Um, you're very good at being on camera and being on the mic. Would you ever be interested in being someone who um, did other kind of things? Would you want to be, you know, on one of those DC series on the C-dubs? Would you want to do any of that kind of acting? I'd be open to it. I mean, I don't know how good at it I'd be. I think that's kind of, I think I, I don't know if you want to call it humility, self-deprecation or just a lack of confidence, but I'm not necessarily sure that I'm what they would want for that. I'd be open to try it. I've, I've done a little bit of the acting classes with uh, Howard Fine and his guys when they would come into the WWE and the performance center. And I don't know if I feel like I have strong enough acting skills to sort of, shall we say, get roles based solely on that. Uh, it'd be something I'd be willing to try and I'd like to. It's just, you know, again, I, I live in Florida, so it's not exactly the easiest thing to do. Hmm. If you've got any thoughts on what we've talked to Simon about so far, we want you to tell us about them on Facebook. You go to facebook.com slash group slash tights fights, or you can go to at tights fights on Twitter or Instagram. You can talk to us at all three places. Julian will take a message. We'll have more from Simon <laughs> Grimm up next on Tights and Fights. The Dead Pilot Society podcast brings you hilarious comedy pilots that were never made, featuring actors like Aubrey Plaza, Andy Richter, Paul F. Tompkins, John Hodgman, Adam Scott, Molly Shannon, Busy Phillips, Tom Lennon, Anna Camp, Lori Metcalf, Felicia Day, Michael Ian Black, Adam Savage, Paul Shear, Ben Schwartz, Skylar Aston, Mae Whitman, Josh Molina, Ben Feldman, Nicole Byer, Jason Ritter, Sarah Chalk, Steve Agee, Jane Levy, Allison Tolman, Danielle Nicolette, Casey Wilson, Anna Ortiz, Lorraine Newman, June Diane Raphael, Kieran Chipka, Ed Week, Zach Knight, and Carrie Kenny Silver, John Ross Bowie, Jamie Denbo, Janet Varney, Alexander Sunday, Summer, Ross, Matt and many more. Listen at Mac- MaximumFun.org, iTunes, or wherever you download podcasts. Ties and Bites Podcast. Ties and Bites. Welcome back to Tights and Fights. I'm Hal Loveland. I'm joined in this booth by... Danielle Radford. And... Open Mike Eagle. And our special guest, please... Mr. Guest, please introduce yourself. 
Uh, I am the man formerly known as uh, Prince Ikea. Lovely. Yes. Love that that one time when I was playing WCW NWO Revenge in 1998. Uh, <laughs> you might know me as Simon Gotch or Simon Grimm or uh, usually just that asshole is what I get called nowadays a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have to ask you, uh, you've been out for a while now from WWE. And, and in did you it sort of immediately when you're out go, all right, this is the checklist of of who I'd like to work and where I'd like to go, and, and if so, how far are you into that checklist? And if not, where haven't you gone to wrestle so far that you still want to go? Uh, I did not have a checklist. I, I did jokingly think just it would be fun to, because uh, Cody Rhodes very famously yeah. did the yeah. list photo. I was jokingly, I wanted to do one where it was just going to be a grocery list. <laughs> <laughs> it was just going to be like milk, uh, eggs, protein powder, uh, oh, cheese. so good. The only place I haven't like that I genuinely want to go is I'd really like to wrestle in Japan. That's I, I've always made it very clear that's my that's my goal. And obviously there's a there's plenty of talent out there that I haven't gotten to work with yet. I've, as many as I have worked with in the last year, I've actually uh, there. It's the the big difference now is when I started wrestling on the independent scene in 2001. There's a very short list of guys you wanted to work with, whereas now you know there's easily a hundred guys. Like there's and it seems like every day there's someone else popping up. You know, an Austin Theory or a Sammy Guevara. Where this is someone I might not have heard of a year ago, but now I know who they are. And I'm like, oh man, I want to work with that guy. I want to work with that guy. Like, so, I have you guys heard of the Gymnasty Boys? No, no. They are amazing. They are one of my favorite tag teams. I, I tell people about how great they are all the time. It's two heavy set dudes from North Carolina. One of whom, uh, Timmy Lou Retton, who can do Whoa. like back handsprings and oh, oh yeah, I great love him man. already. I'm very yeah, I'm into him. it. I'm so into it. He's a heavy set black dude who can flip. Oh, I love Give it. Give me. <laughs> like I'm thinking, if, if you if you are if you're old enough to remember uh, early CZW Ruckus, he's like that. Wow. His tag partner White Mike, which is again the greatest name for a, for a wrestler oh ever. My God. I've known so many White I've Mikes known so in my many life. White I've known Mikes. like five or six White Mikes, and we're probably talking about different White Mikes. <laughs> we are definitely talking about different. I've known at least like five or six White Mikes. They are all different White Mikes than the one you know. Wow. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. It's like they're they're just but they're a super entertaining tag team. They're really they can pull off some really amazing stuff. Oh, I can't wait uh, to see them. I'm actually happier now working on the indies than I was before because, when I, like I said, when I broke in, it was just such a short list. And if you weren't in that upper echelon, you weren't going to get to work with those guys. How, how, is, how has it been uh, making this transition back into the indies? Like, I know for some uh, for some wrestlers, it can be difficult going from, you know, doing it on the stage you were doing it uh, back at the indies. And sometimes it seems like some wrestlers come from that experience back into the indies with, like, a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, like... How has it been like dealing uh, with the boys on the independence, knowing that you, you know, you, you're coming from the WWE? I've been perfectly happy with it. I honestly, I, I've not. Yeah, a chip on my shoulder is probably the last thing I have at this point. Um, realistically, because, and I, I hate to, to say this, there, there's a lot of myths about what it's like working for WWE. Right. And one of them is the, the stage you're on. And yes, when you're at a WrestleMania or a Royal Rumble or a SummerSlam, you know, you're at a pay-per-view that's sold out or you're on an international tour in Europe or Japan, yeah, you're working in front of enormous houses, you know, 10,000, 20,000, 30,000. In case of WrestleMania, you know, 90,000, 100,000, whatever it is. But I've also worked WWE house shows in Texarkana in front of 1,500 people. Right. I, I've also, you know, I've, I've been to uh, house shows in Wyoming that have been canceled three times because of low attendance or low ticket sales, and then they finally just agreed to do it with, you know, 1,200 people in there. Wow. 
the stage is actually a lot bigger now on the Indies than it ever was before. And that, that's been evidenced by things like, I mean, the All In event that's coming up uh, right. in September. Yeah. Which I find laughable that people thought they weren't going to sell out. <laughs> like, I have been opening card at a Ring of Honor show, and half the crowd's been empty because they're still in line to get autographs from the Bullet Club. So I've legitimately seen they're drawing power in person. And even if you ignore that, the second someone says it's impossible, you made it inevitable hmm. because you just turned it into a fight. We were talking about All In, I think last week we, right. we brought this up. And, I, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. I, I mean, obviously, it's already a huge success. And for, for the reasons you stated, to what extent is this something that's – is this something that you can replicate? Well, I think it's demonstrating that there is a market for independent wrestling more than anything. And if you – are able to get your product to people and get them interested and show them they have a reason to be interested in it, they'll, they'll, mm-hmm. they'll buy it, which for a long time has been the stumbling block independent wrestling has had. It's always been viewed as this lowbrow, low quality. It's not, you know, even if you try to sell someone on going to it, how do you sell them on it? Oh, it's got this guy who used to be in WWE years ago. Whereas now they're showing, no, there's actually wrestlers that you want to see who are just on the indies that aren't in WWE. They have never been in WWE and they have a lot of talent. They have a lot to bring to the table. Um, so I have a very silly, weird question. If you could pick an XFL name that would go on the back of your jersey, what might that be? So, uh, so if I was in the XFL and I was selecting a name. Yeah, you and you can't pick He Hate Me. It's chosen. Oh, no. You know what I would pick? Mm. I kneel. There you go. There you go. <laughs> there All right. you go. All right. Oh, Hardcore right. ally Simon. That. Okay. I, yep. I would. I would. I would pick that just to fly in the face of their whole of that whole. Uh, we're going to be wholesome family entertainment. We're not like you know the NFL with their disrespecting of our our national anthem, which we we take a lot of this stuff way too seriously. We don't understand that it's not about the physical prop like item. It's about the ideology behind it. And if the ideology is being, shall we say, disrespected, which let's be real, you know, police brutality is way more disrespectful of the concepts of freedom and liberty than kneeling during the national anthem. I just so yes, but but again, it's it's the issue of people don't want to think and they don't want to be challenged and they don't want to have to really consider that maybe their stance on things isn't you know in line with reality. Even if you again, even if you don't agree with Colin Kaepernick, it's the lack of acknowledging why he's doing it. That's what I always find baffling. Right. You don't. Uh, you can you can disagree with him. You can say I don't agree. That's the best way to handle it. Or I don't agree with that. Be- I don't think you're correct, and you're wrong. But it's a significantly different matter to say he's kneeling to disrespect the flag. That makes no sense. Yeah, if crazy. I want to disrespect the flag, I can think of way better ways to do it than kneeling. Right. <laughs> Without even trying, I could like, like I could literally, I, hell, use it as a tablecloth, which people do. I know you're not allowed to kiss the American flag until the third date. That's, That's one. Good. Yeah, you can't mm-hmm. go to third base on the American flag. The, the American flag be cannot mad. be yeah. issued a learner's permit to drive until it's 15 years old. Mm-hmm. Right. That's another thing you cannot do. You can't take and it the, driving. The American mode. flag has to be over four feet tall if you want to take it on an amusement park ride. That's yeah, it. and it tries to get on all of the time. And everyone be like, yo, calm down, American flag. You don't get to loop-de-loop today. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and also, a little-known fact, American flag, no shellfish. Yeah, not oh. allowed. That's right. Coach. Not allowed. <laughs> Uh, no it's tray kosher. foods. No tray foods. It, it'll it'll uh, it'll break out in sickles. That's right. <laughs> oh. 
How do you how do you feel about the American flag eating horse poop? I'll take that off. I'll take that off, Michael. Come on. You know what? You win one Super Bowl and one guy from your city eats a little bit of a lot of horse poop. And all of a sudden, that's the city that the, Look, we made the mistake by declaring independence right there on on Walnut Street, I think, or Chestnut, wherever it is. Who cares? The uh, point is... Is that the name of the horse? <laughs> yes, it was Chestnut's poop. Simon, I got a question for you. You seem to be like... Right. You seem to be very opinionated. You have a lot of personality. You're very funny. And I know you guys had like a, a, a gimmick in WWE where you guys weren't... You know, it, it, it might have been difficult for you to display those things. But did you guys... Do you, you remember any times you guys ever tried to push uh, to be able to show more of your personality like on air? Yes. Uh, and it never happened. Yeah. Uh, the closest we came to getting to show it was when we did the stuff with the puppets that I think only aired online. Huh. I don't, yeah, I don't know if I ever saw it. I did. It was great. Yep. Yeah. And I think they canceled uh, Talking Smack right after we did it. Damn. Oh. I, I, I used to joke that uh, before I got signed, there were like three or four indie companies that when they put me on their poster, uh, they they went out of business to their next show. <laughs> so I, I, I personally take responsibility for Talking Smack getting canceled. I think that was my fault. So they, they made the... They made the mistake of putting me on it. Of course, I had to cancel. <laughs> so, so where, where did the, how did the 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 gimmick uh, for Vaude Villains first come about? Was that something that you or Aiden was like actually interested in in terms of that like that era of you know American life? Was that was that an interest thing or was that something that kind of was put on you guys? Uh, I had actually done a version of the gimmick on the indies, but the the version I had done was more of just a straight uh, old carnival grappler. Right. Mm. And uh, when Regal saw me, he said I should do kind of the old timey strongman thing, and because I, I already had the mustache, so I started tweaking it to be closer to that. English was already doing his whole deal where he was supposed to be the uh, he was the uh, the artiste, and he'd actually done a uh, an aside with a guy named uh, Axel Keegan. He wound up becoming Mickey Keegan after uh, Joe Hennig changed his name to Curtis Axel. Mm -hmm. But he uh, called the Lincoln Fight Club, which was supposed to be like a uh, Gangs of New York thing. Yeah, we all we both had sort of versions of the similar gimmick, and they kind of put us together, and it was we went from there. When you guys, you know, because you, you guys worked really hard to get, you know, that gimmick over in NXT, and had like some really great moments and matches there. When you guys got the call to uh, be part of the main roster, like, did you, were you guys like? How, like, how did you guys feel? Because I know it, it feels like some people are excited at the opportunity and some people might be uh, a little hesitant just because some of the gimmicks in NXT seems like it's tougher for them to get over in that environment where the people who run creative there might not be as as sensitive or careful with them. Well, uh, to put it in perspective, or, well, let me, let me start by actually answering the first part of the question and I'll get to that. Um, I was told, where we were told... Uh, the morning of WrestleMania. That was the first time we were told we were debuting on SmackDown. Wow. Mm. We were supposed to be, we were supposed to have a meeting with Mark Carano that morning, very early. He canceled the meeting and said he would talk to us at Mania. English asked me what I thought it was about. And I said, well, whether getting called up or fired. Right. Mm. Because as I, as I often point to, there are only two reasons Mark Carano calls you. Um, <laughs> Unless it's so I, Steve's. Uh, I guess that's a total Divas reference because I didn't get it. Yeah, same, same here. Same here. We wound up getting told because uh, Travel had accidentally sent us our revised flights home. So we got told by Travel we were actually getting called up. Wow. Wow. How can I put this? I was I was hopeful, but I was also at the point where I was ready to quit two days earlier. Wow. Um, where I'd actually told uh, Biff Busick, uh, Oni Lurkin, that I, was, I, I hate this place and I want to quit. Because at that point, they'd really kind of jerked us around so much that I was – 
it was that feeling of there's like, there's no, this isn't going anywhere. You're not using us. You're not firing us and you're not calling us up. Mm. So it was that feeling of complete purgatory. And that was really unpleasant as far as getting called up and like what it would mean. I I'm a firm believer that anyone and anything can be gotten over. Right. If you're willing to take the adequate time to do it. And the real issue isn't so much necessarily just that creative may or may not understand what you're doing. It's a matter of if they don't understand how much time you need in order to get what you're doing over and you don't get that time, you're never going to be able to get over. Right. Right. Because getting over uh, what what we're ultimately talking about is emotional investment. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I I try to remind people a lot of the ways we get emotional investment in wrestling are very archaic and are, are unfortunately not effective anymore in no small part because people are aware that it's not real. So many of our methodologies that we think as wrestlers are, oh, this is a surefire way to get someone over, don't actually work anymore. Uh, Something as simple as like a streak. You know, like the Goldberg streak would not work today. Having a guy win, because we saw it with Ryback, it struggled to really get anything going. And it was more the freak factor of they were putting him out there with two and three guys at a time who were tiny, but he was doing this, you know, these really like impressive physical acts with them. The streak was meaningless because, again, they know it's not real. They know you're not really winning your matches. If I beat you with one move, the audience doesn't go, oh, wow, he's really good. He won with one move. They go, oh, wow, that was quick. Right. Right. And if and if you're if you're out there for 30 seconds, you can only get so much investment. No matter how good you are, there's only so much opportunity to get investment in a very limited time frame. Right. So if those old school ways don't work anymore, what do you think works now? So this is my, my personal opinion is that, again – you have to highlight a person's specialty and know what they are good at. This takes time. This take, You have to actually know your talent and know where their, their strength is. Traditional logic is, okay, we'll send you out there. You're going to have five minutes, hit some cool moves, go home. Right. Mm. But again, in five minutes, we're only getting so much investment. Mm. If you send Adrian Neville out in a 15-minute match and had him lose, I guarantee you he would get over better than if you put him out there in a three-minute match and had him win. That's a great point. Yeah. yeah. And maybe that's the real issue that we have with, with a lot of guys who come from NXT is that they don't necessarily get the time they need or the the proper showcasing that they need to get over. Here, last question for me on this same train of thought. Uh, I've been watching wrestling like all of my life, uh, and it certainly seems now that there's a different attitude toward making sure all the talent gets over these days than it, than it used to. It feels like there would be more time put into getting acts over before they gave up or moved on in the past. Like, do you, is that something that you think is true now? Is it different now? And, and, and if so, is there a reason why you think? I don't know that it's necessarily different. There are a lot of acts that got given up on very quickly in the past. Um, for example, and for various reasons, the one I always point to when, when the subject comes up is uh, William Regal's real man's man gimmick. Ah, uh, yes. Do you, know? mm-hmm. you know how long he did that for? I don't. Yes, I'd like you to guess how long he was the real man's man. One week? No, longer. A month. I thought he did that for a year. One month. Wow. Oh, maybe wow. it just felt yeah. like a year. He had, <laughs> he had four episodes of TV, one pay-per-view match, and then he went to rehab. Does it feel like they're giving up more on the people or on the gimmick now? Like it's... nowadays, yeah. I, I think it's a matter of they're producing so much content and ultimately, everything has to be approved of by Vince. Sure. So in the same way in politics, what's often said is that the, the real issue with politics comes into play when you have people, they're not necessarily trying to please, you're not, they're not necessarily trying to do what's right or what they believe in. 
They're trying to please constituents so that they get reelected. Mm, right. Mm. Their only goal is to is to get reelected. And when your your situation is, if you're if you're a writer, your goal is to keep your job. You're not writing because you're trying to make the best product you can make. You're not writing because you're trying to make a good show. You're trying to write to keep Vince happy and make sure that he approves of your writing. Right. Because if he doesn't, at a certain point, you will get fired. There's a saying. There's a one man that professional that WWE has a, has an audience of one, and that's Vince. If he's not happy with what they're doing, they're not going to do it. Imagine. At at some point, would you consider going back? And and if you went back, would you have not conditions around it, but if if you were to return there, what is there something you'd want to do specifically? Or are you at the point right now where you're enjoying what you're doing, do more of it, and whatever happens, happens? If I went back, it would have to just simply I, – I, I, I hate to use this phrase, but I wouldn't want to get Del Rio'd. Hmm. Hmm. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to leave because I was dissatisfied with how I was being used and then get promised I was going to be used better than only to be brought back and be used poorly again. I feel like that would be defeating the whole purpose of, of being there in the first place. That the only reason there, – there are two really solid reasons to go to WWE. One is to have a large stage in, on which to perform and two is to get paid very well. Those are the two reasons. You're not always going to get to perform your, to your best because depending on how you're used, depending on how you're booked, depending on how what, – what they see you as – you might not have those opportunities. If you look at a guy like Cody Rhodes, is a great example of someone who was told you're stardust and that's what we see for you for the foreseeable future. Like they had no intention of changing it. So you have to make that decision of, is it better to stay here as stardust and make good money or go out there and do what I know I'm capable of. So I, I wouldn't want to go back just to wind up. It's, I mean, if they're like, oh, hey, we're going to have you come back. Okay, what am I doing? Oh, you in English are going to tag again, and you're going to be out there holding the sign while he sings for Rusev Day. Like, and? Oh, that's it. Well, how long is that going to last? You know, Because that's the other part of it is that you have to consider if you're going to go back to be used poorly again, how long are you going to be there? Right. You know? Right. Do you really want to go back just to be fired again? Oh. Yeah. Uh, Simon, I I had to chime in because I have one last question before we uh, – before... Uh, we wrap up and I just want to like, you know, I want us to be a happy show at the end. <laughs> and yeah. um, I just, it, it, it can get very dark with me. I oh, yeah. hey, no, no, I'm no. dark too. I, so we, we're we the dark corner right no, now. No, no. You're, you're encouraging Mike. He's very sad right now. I no, um, am. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just wanted to ask you um, what, um, what would, what's your idea of success uh, as, as a wrestler? And like, and, you know, cause I think I feel like everybody has a different idea of that, especially in the WWE. My idea of success as a wrestler is ultimately come, or ultimately would come down to if people in the industry feel like they have been bettered by my presence. Mm. Mm. If someone meets me or watches my matches or does one of my seminars or talks to me for a few minutes and they feel like they gain something from doing that, that's success to me because I'm ne- you're not necessarily going to be able to control where your career ends. There are a lot of guys who are very talented whose careers end early. There are a lot of guys who are very talented who never really go anywhere. There are a lot of guys who are really talented who never get their proper uh, dues. But they're going to be remembered fondly by someone because, hey, I one time worked a show with Simon Gotch. gave me really good advice. Mm-hmm. Even though the advice I usually give people is don't take advice. Um, <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me just explain this real quick because I know it's, it's kind of an aside. I, I tend to sidebar a lot and I have apologized to Hal for this before. But um, one of the things I tell one of the things I tell people when I do seminars is they'll be like, "What's good advice for someone in wrestling?" I go, "Don't take advice." And the reason I say that is because advice, usually, especially in wrestling, anyway, is not about the person who's receiving it; it's about the person who's giving it. 
They're trying to exert their power over you and show you how smart they are or how much they have to offer. And the example I always use is that and every wrestler smiles and laughs when they hear this because they, they've had this happen to them. How many times have you had that old veteran come up to you and go, hey, kid, next time you're in the ring putting heat on a guy and you're about to punch him, just stop and look at the crowd. <laughs> and then drill him. Just see what happens. And you'll do it, and it gets no reaction. <laughs> and then he'll come up to you, and he'll put two fingers in your chest, start poking you, and be like, don't play at this. I saw you out there. You weren't taking it serious. you got to take this serious. And, and it's really just about him feeling like he knows some great secret. Uh, one, one of the, uh, the, the best advice I actually ever heard in wrestling, oddly enough, was through an idiot. One time, Undertaker did an uh, imp- impromptu Q&A at the FCW building with FCW guys and Enzo of all people is telling the story, you know, it's like, I asked him, you know, bro, like, what you, 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 you're the phenom, you've been world <laughs> champion. You, you made a better WrestleMania. Of course he kissed his ass for about 18 minutes before he asked his question. Uh, what, what's your advice for like a guy who's young in the business, who's new to this. And I'm thinking he's going to tell me some mind blowing shit. You know what he says? Stretching ice. And when I heard that, I looked at, at one of the guys and went, Oh my God, that's brilliant. And he went, what? And I was like, no one's that good. Hmm. And the realization I had was that there's no one piece of advice anyone can give you in wrestling or in life that's just going to – that's like there's no secret. There's no – once you hear this, don't you're going to make a million dollars and be rich and famous and no one's ever going to question your work ever again. It's like – it's art. It's, it's self-expression. It's emotional investment both by you and the audience. And too often in wrestling, we get caught up in trying to backwards uh, – backwards uh, manufacture how we became successful and we make up reasons when we don't really know right rick flair was popular for reasons he doesn't understand Mm. but i'm sure if you asked him what he did to get over he'd tell you but it wouldn't be right because again he was over in an era when wrestling was presented as a legitimate competition therefore the reasons he was over could have nothing to do with why he thinks they are what, what he thinks they are because you're you're not unless you're addressing your audience like well I was over in part because I was world champion. I was very charismatic. So being world champion helped because anyone's going to, you know, back then you paid to see the world champion. It was an event. It was just like you paid. It was like boxing. You know, you pay to see the world champion. It doesn't matter who it is that that's a person with status. So it's, it's like seeing royalty in the same way that, uh, how, why someone gets over in the modern era is completely different. A guy like Daniel Bryan is a hundred is, you know, 180 degrees from Ric Flair as far as his personality and the way he, he, uh, he presents himself in ring, but he's popular. So there's no set formula. You get, you get popular, not necessarily because of any one thing you do, but because you believe in what you're doing, because you're invested in it and because people invest in what you're doing. So if I'm able to help someone realize that they don't need to listen to me, what they need to do is listen to themselves and really figure out who they are and what they want to be. I mean, the closest thing to really advice that, that I give at this point is um, your career is going to end someday and you need to be happy with your work. Wow. Mm. That's if, awesome. if you if you look back at your matches and all you think is, oh, man, that was boring or, oh, man, that sucked, then you've done it wrong. You absolutely should be able to enjoy your own work. And I, th- this is as someone who used to watch it. I, I would watch my own matches 100 times and I'd hate them, every second of them. I would write note after note after note of what I hated about my matches. But I wouldn't write anything I liked. I was making myself miserable, and no one gets into wrestling to be miserable. That's perfect. Yeah, that's really great. Uh, also, I'm, I'm just going to take a moment to say this, even though it's completely unrelated to anything. How awful was that segment on Monday oh, with God? Uh, oh, oh, God. Yep. 
First of all, just explain why growing up you had to carry this broom around everywhere you went. Well, when we were younger, Bobby was mean to all of us. So I grabbed the closest thing to me, my mama's broom. And I used it to swat that snarling little menace away from me. Wow. Thank you for sharing. I'm, I just, I, I'm not letting that one go because I wanted to talk about that. Let me just... Oh, please, yeah. please. So one of the big issues that happens in wrestling is I, we're trying to get heat. We want... We, this, is, this goes back to, to what they say about, you know, or what I was saying about a lot of the archaic ideologies that we have in wrestling still. We want to get heat. We want, we want you to boo our bad guys. We want you to cheer our good guys. We want you to get heat if you're a heel. Okay, the first problem of that segment is it was intended to be funny. Hmm. You're supposed to not like Sami Zayn for doing that. So right off the bat, it's a failure right. because you're presenting it as comedy. Mm-hmm. Secondly... Your, your, if your goal is to is to make people boo Sammy, how is him marching out clearly three men in drag, and claiming they're Bobby Lashley's sister is going to like this isn't 1983. It's crazy, right? Yeah, you know, a lot of people say they use the phrase "killing the business" nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Kenny Omega kills the business because he wrestled a blow up doll in Japan, or the Young Bucks kill the business because they throw 30 super kicks. You know what kills the business? Kamala. Kamala kills the business because. As recently as the mid-90s, we had a black man on national television dressed up as a faux African savage Ooh. hailing from the dark continent. Yeah. That is, that is something that when you are not a wrestling fan and you see, you go, wow, this is every horrible thing I ever heard about. Right. This is lowbrow, unintelligent, garbage entertainment for the stupidest of the stupid, racist, homophobic, whatever, redneck guys. That's, those are the only people that watch this. When you do something like the Bobby Lashley sisters, so to speak, you're not getting Sami Zayn any heat because even then the audience is aware that this is a creative decision. Right. Right. The audience doesn't think Sami Zayn came up with this. It doesn't even line up with his character they've presented on. Not even a little. Yeah. Exactly. So the but again, we're like, oh, we want to get heat. Something I tell guys when they do uh, seminars is don't get your heat off your audience. Get your heat off your opponent. Right. It's just like in a video game. I know a video game isn't real. But if I am playing uh, Dead Island, I'll just use Dead Island as an example, and I'm getting swarmed on by 30 zombies, I will get mad. I have unlimited lives. I have unlimited continues. I'm not losing anything if my character dies. But I will get mad. I will get frustrated because my avatar, the character I have created or selected, is being beaten up. In the same way in wrestling, if I don't need to yell you know, something at the audience. I need to yell something at, at my opponent. Sami Zayn would have done a better job, you know, if they want to get him heel heat, have him do a match with uh, Bobby Lashley and cheap shot him, right. you know, mm, like right. that's going to get you way more heel heat than than anything, because, again, it's against Bobby Lashley. If I like, and the, the comparison I usually make is with the, the audience, like if you want to get heel heat, yeah, you can get heel heat from the audience easy by, you know, see a woman in the front row, you tell her, you know, sit down, you fat bitch. Well, that's a paying customer. That's a paying customer who doesn't want to come back because you just made them feel very uncomfortable and self-conscious. Yep. And uh, you'll get your heel heat, yeah. But now you're one less ticket sold. And then all of the, all of the people that look like that customer also don't want to go. Right. Exactly. Conversely, though, if I go, come on, you know, if I'm if I'm Sami Zayn wrestling Bobby Lashley, he comes out, I kick him, I kick his knee out on him, and I'll come on, get up, you stupid bitch, get up. 
people are going to get mad at me for doing that to him. I'm mad at you doing it, and, and it didn't even really happen. It just... <laughs> exactly. But, but that's the idea, is that that's what you want to go for. But we keep trying to use these, again, the archaic ideologies that they worked at a time in, in history, using, bringing out the midget. They, you know, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels did it. DX has done it. Bringing out the, uh, the sisters. You know, it's, it's right up there with like the, some of the other stuff they've done over the years I can't even think of. But the Katie Vick thing is another example. Yes. Yep. Yeah, it, it'll, it's like you're, you need to understand that your audience shouldn't feel insulted nor should they feel ashamed watching your show. Yeah, that exactly. should never be. Hmm. They should be able to be like with pride watch the show. They should and, be able to enjoy the show. Right, and they should be able to share it with their friends and and not, you know, not be embarrassed when something yeah, like hey, that comes on. Uh, hey, uh, here's this thing I like. How about you just go ahead and go through and scroll through between, um, let me give you some time codes. No, don't worry about it. Don't stop. <laughs> oh, it's when, when I show people wrestling, I don't show them. I never showed them WWE. I show them stuff from Japan. Right. Right, because my log- my logic was even if they don't like wrestling, they're gonna see this and go, oh wow, this is crazy. Even when I was showing them like, I'd show like FMW death matches where it's like they're like, oh my god, these guys are like really hurting each other. Like, well, yeah, it's crazy, right? They're like, yeah, it's like they might not like it. They might they might you know they might like it. They might not like it. But at least their opinion is based on what they're seeing and not on the insult they're feeling from having watched it. Right. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. Well, uh, if you've got any thoughts on Simon Grimm and all the things that you've been hearing about. Uh, let us know about them at facebook.com slash group slash tights fights and at tights fights on Twitter and Instagram. Simon, man, thank you so much for taking the time to come on to tights and fights. We, we really, really appreciate it. And uh, tell everybody where, where they can find you, where you're going to be next. Uh, g- give us oh, all the, the details. Uh, you can, well, you can find me at devious journey on Twitter. I am also still at gotstyle WWE on Instagram or slash or devious journey on uh, Facebook. Yeah, you can find me on MLW on uh, BN Sports uh, every Friday night. Yeah, obviously I'm all around at the random independent organizations all throughout the country, uh, throughout the world in some cases, uh, over in England uh, in the fall. Awesome. Simon, please, please come back. Please come back. Thanks for keeping it all the way real, man. We really yeah. appreciate that. Legit. Thank you. This was amazing. This was one of my favorite conversations we've had on here. Uh, I do what I can. Thank you guys for having me. Of course. Uh, when we come back, we're going to have three things from the world of wrestling that you should know about. That's up next on Tights and Fights. Going into a bullseye interview, I know that it's somebody who does amazing work, but it's also a real conversation, so I don't know where it's headed. I think you just you just clarified something for me that's never been really clear before. This is the most serious I've ever been in my life. You've made me completely serious. <laughs> I feel like I'm in therapy. <laughs> Bullseye, creators you know, creators you need to know. Find it at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. Tides and Bites Podcast. Tides and Bites. Welcome back to Tights and Fights. I'm Hal Lublin. I'm joined today by... Daniel Radford. And Mike Eagle. Every week we end the show by sharing some of the joy of pro wrestling with you. This is The Three Count. <laughs> Danielle, what do you want to put over? Um, I didn't get a chance to talk about this last week, but it's gotten even better and and better. So, in People magazine, there was an article, and as everyone knows, there there have been many articles about the the Cena breakup 
with the Bella and the Bella and the Cena. I wouldn't read not one of them shits. <laughs> you know why? Because Michael Eagle can smell a work a when it's coming away. right towards his face. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's been revealed that they might be getting back together and they're talking about getting back together. But obviously, um, in the past like couple weeks, month, it has been revealed that they did not have the wedding. And then he went on um, the Hoda and the Kathy Lee, with <laughs> Kathy Lee doing a face that, as someone rightfully pointed out, looks like the Saturday Night Live face that they do for her. Yeah. And they were so sad while he was like, but I he would give her babies and I love her. I this for her. The thing that I love about the storyline, and I know that a lot of people have problems with the storyline and them selling out their personal relationship for story to which I would say, have you watched wrestling before? Yeah, that's real. That's, that's a like, very real answer to that question. Like literally, yeah. the term booking your own divorce is a real term for real ass reasons. Like there is, there are real things that happen when you start, you know, but, but that's just like exploiting your relationships, friendships, family, relationships. It is built into the backbone, into the marrow, the tasty, tasty, succulent, put it on toast and spread it, marrow of wrestling. And and I am loving it because as I have told you guys a million times, fucking work me. I love it. That's why I watch wrestling. I want to be worked. I want to believe something. I want to believe anything. <laughs> work me. Mike, I know that Danielle took yours, but I'm sure you have something else in the chamber that you're ready to put over. This is the thing. I'm actually putting over the same thing you're putting over. What? And so I'll just we'll just pass it to you. You want to go to me? I I never get to go second. Okay. You know, I just like to point out that usually we have to work on getting this down to three, and we've gotten the three count down to two this week. (laughs) That's right. We've got it down to two, just like your two giant pecs that you use when you do those Uh, pecs. If you want me to, I can talk about how much I really, really, really enjoyed someone having fun with their boyfriend on fucking Twitter. Wait, hold on. Let Please, let me go second. (laughs) This is my moment. This is Roman Reigns always kicking out at two. This is a Roman Reigns. Jeez. One, two. Ah, but then remember that time. I... I uh, would not be listening to this podcast were it not for Mike. He suggested, I think like two weeks ago, 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff and Conrad Thompson, which of course refers to the 83 weeks uh, consecutive during which WCW beat uh, WWE in the Monday Night Ratings War. And this comes from the episode about the finger poke of doom. And it's a really fun episode to listen to. And, And Bischoff is at times dodgy and just says, I don't remember, and uh, alternately sort of takes responsibility without taking responsibility and sometimes takes total responsibility. But my favorite moment came at the end when they took questions from the listeners on Facebook. Uh, And this guy seemingly was very upset with his experience having attended the Finger Poke of Doom show live. Here it is. Well, Joshua Pope writes this. I was in attendance that night and had not missed the Nitro since before the NWO angle began. But when I left that night, I drove the four hours home and I didn't watch wrestling again for 15 years. What would you say to me, (laughs) Eric Bischoff? (laughs) What was the question? What would you say to me, Eric Bischoff? (sighs) Oh, 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I must have missed that when I listened to the episode. That was some real scary stuff. That does it for Tights and Fights. We are a podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. This week, our hosts were Daniel Radford and Mike Eagle, along with me, Hal Lublin. Uh, guys, exciting news. I'm going home. I'm going home. I'm doing uh, two shows as part of the Philadelphia Podcast Festival, both on the 23rd. There's a 5 p.m. and 8 p.m. in Philadelphia at the Fit Theater. Uh, you can get tickets by going to bit.ly forward slash we got Philly 2018. It's going to be me and Mark. We're doing two different episodes, so come see them both. There are VIP tickets for the second show. You get some signed stuff. You get to hang out with us. It's going to be a really fun time. The Fit Theater, June 23rd. If you're in Philly, New York, New Jersey, Delaware, anywhere nearby, and you can hear my voice, uh, come there. We can even talk about wrestling afterwards. Maybe one of the topics will be about wrestling. Who knows? Come check it out again. Uh, that is bit.ly forward slash we got Philly 2018 all lowercase. Welcome to Hell's House. Come on. Uh, anything anybody else wants to promote? Anything coming up? I don't remember anything. Fair enough. Our <laughs> producer is the Blacksicool Julian Burrell. Senior producer at Maximum Fun is Laura Swisher. Mike Eagle is the voice behind our theme music, so we're putting him over for that. Keep up with us all week long at Facebook.com slash group slash Tights Fights and at Tights Fights on Twitter and on Instagram. Don't forget that IG, son. If you love the show, remember to hit those five stars on Apple Podcasts and share us with all your friends and leave a review while you're at it. Only takes a minute and lasts a lifetime. Thank you so much to the Max Fun members who have parted their monthly recurring contribution diverted to our show to keep the lights on when we're in here we appreciate it so much thank you thank you thank you we'll be back next week for even more you guessed it wrestling tights and bites podcast tights and bites maximumfun.org comedy and culture artist owned listener supported